Hey everybody, this is Pastor David with We Are Church. I just want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways we do that is through the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. So I just pray that this message would challenge you to take your faith to the next level and you would find freedom in every area that you need. God bless you and enjoy the message. So we're, we're going to start a little bit different today. Today we're just going to jump straight into the Word. And so if you, if you have your Bibles, will you turn to the Gospel of John chapter 10 starting with verse 10. So this is our, our, our fifth official service and we've been diving into the I Am series and uh, going into all the I Am statements in the Gospel of John and really trying to discover what Jesus means when he calls himself different things. The first week we started with uh, him saying to the woman at the well, telling her that he was the Messiah. He said, I am the Messiah. And we talked about how he came to save us from our sin. How not only did he come to save us from the penalty of sin, but he came to literally save us from our sin. And that a lot of us have grown up only desiring to be saved from the penalty of sin. But that he desires to save us from our sin. The second week we talked about how he said he was the bread of life. And that he came to satisfy spiritual hunger. He conquered spiritual death and he offers eternal life. The third week we talked about how he was the light of the world. How he brings structure, order, and life to our chaos. And through his light, we eliminate the darkness. And then last week was my favorite sermon so far. The, the gate, he said, I am the gate for the sheep. And we talked about how he's the only access into the sheepfold. And that in him we find rest, protection, and eternal security. And so this week, we're going to discover what Jesus says when, he's caught, when he says that he is the good shepherd. And so... The Gospel of John, chapter 10, starting with verse 10. Y'all got your Bibles out and ready? I tell you, some of y'all better start bringing a Bible or download that U version. <laughs> so the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. Miracle, can you, can you bring me that water, please? Thanks, bro. Don't do that. You know I only got, you know I only got one good hand right now. <laughs> My strong hand. <laughs> and so we've been going over these I am statements. And I, and I want to start at the beginning of, of verse 10 when Jesus says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. So this entire thing that we've been reading about him being the gate for the sheep all led to Jesus getting into an argument with the Pharisees and how he was telling them that, that they actually their hardened hearts disqualified them from being true shepherds. And so we talked about last week how, um, how unless somebody enters in, in through the gate, in through Jesus, that person isn't actually a shepherd. And so here we see him and he's telling them, he's saying the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy and so it's important that we start with an awareness that we have an adversary. Like, can everybody agree, agree with that, that we have an enemy, right? That, there's, that, that we have an adversary that is after our life. And so the Bible's very clear about its purpose. But one of my first points is you're in, you're in a battle whether you like it or not. Every person in this room is in a battle. Now, we're either engaged in the fight or we're being defeated. So whether you like it or not, there's already an enemy and an adversary that is after your life. And it's important that I stand here and I tell you tonight that just because you got saved or that you gave your life to Jesus doesn't mean that you're excluded 
from the trials of life. So we all have an enemy and he's got tactics and he's got strongholds and he's got well thought out plans on how he wants to destroy your life. And unless we acknowledge that we have an enemy, unless we study our enemy and unless we actually realize that we have somebody that is trying to take our life, then we'll sit back and think that everything's okay, And it'll end in destruction. He has well thought out plans to destroy you in every way. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's saying, be watchful, be sober minded. He's saying you need to be you need to be on your guard because there is an enemy that is after you. Like a lion roaring, seeking in whom he may devour. And he's been on us since since birth. A lot of us have went through some really destructive things since since we were born. We grew up in these real destructive, dysfunctional patterns in our life. And we got kids that are beaten and that are molested and sold for drugs and all of these different things. And parents are are, are, are drug addicts and alcoholics or whatever it is. Or, or maybe you grew up in a system of religion and that was the way of the enemy coming in to try to put uh, layers and layers on top of you. And now you're really starting to experience the freedom of Jesus. But we have an enemy. And if we don't know that we have an enemy, then we're defeated already. And so I always put it like this. If somebody came into this room and asked you to use your cell phone and you handed it to them and they took off and ran out the door with it and they stole it. And you went and you tried to find them, but they, they disappeared. They weren't around. If that same person came back after you went out and spent another thousand dollars on a cell phone and came into this room and said, hey, can I borrow your cell phone? Would you give your cell phone to them? Right. Like, no, because you would know that that person is a thief. He's already proved himself to be a thief. But a lot of times we'll continue to give the enemy something after he stole it and we'll try to rebuild our lives. But we'll give it back to him and give it back to him and give it back to him because we're not recognizing his tactics and acknowledging that we have an enemy. And his job is to steal, kill and destroy everything that God wants for us. couple of things. When he says he came to steal, he came to kill, and he came to destroy, I'm just going to break a couple of those down. My first one is he came to steal your identity. If he can steal your identity, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to find it in the things of this world. Money, sex, drugs, whatever that thing is. If the enemy can steal your identity and you don't know who you were created to be in Christ, you will spend the rest of your life trying to find it in things of this world. That's why we got we got little girls that grow up without fathers and they don't know their identity. They don't know that they're loved and they try to find their identity in having sex with men. And so they have all of these different relationships and end up on drugs and end up in prostitution and all of these things because the enemy came to steal her identity. And she doesn't know that she's really a daughter, a daughter in Christ and that she's loved and she's really a queen. Because if the enemy can steal your identity, you will spend your whole life trying to find it in the world. My identity in Christ was, was, was that I was a leader. I didn't know that I was called to lead people in the battle of, 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 of Christ, so I was leading people in the wrong way in the streets. I had no idea that my influence was supposed to be used by God, and since I didn't know my identity in Christ, I used it in the world to destroy God's kingdom and not even knowing it, attempting to destroy God's kingdom. I had no idea he was going to flip the script on me. Genesis 1:27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Nothing else that was ever created was created in the image of God. That's why there's no other penalty in the Bible that, that when you take a man's life, that your life has to be taken. Why? Because you're literally killing something that was created in the image of God. God spoke this, 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 and that, and it went through all through Genesis, and then he said he created man in his own image. And until we know that we, are, that we were created in the image of God, until we know that that's, who, that's why we bear the type of feelings that we have, the type of emotions that we have, that, that when my brother over here hurts, I hurt, because it's not just him hurt. He was created in the image of God. We got to know and learn our identity, because if not, We'll continue to, to, to partner with the enemy in destroying our own lives. One of my points, you can't take dominion of this earth if you don't follow your identity. 
if you don't know your identity. You can't take dominion of this earth if you don't know your identity. When he created man in his own image, he said, be fruitful and multiply and take dominion. To have dominion over this earth, that we were supposed to subdue this earth, that everything that was created, we're supposed to be at the top of this food chain. And nothing is to rule us, that we're supposed to rule this world and this earth. But if we don't know that we were created in the image of God and that there's nothing else on this planet that he cares more about and that has the power and the authority that we have, the earth will take dominion over us versus us taking dominion over the world. Secondly, he came to kill your relationship with the father. And God gave me a word specifically for the men in this room. If he can disconnect you from the father, he can disconnect you as a father. If he can disconnect you from the father, he can disconnect you as a father. If you remove the head, you'll kill the body. Sin entered the world through Adam, not Eve. Eve bit the apple first. She gave it to Adam when he ate it. Sin entered the world. Through him. Why? Because he's the head of his house. Because he's supposed to be the one walking in authority and being the leader and the head of his house. And when he fell victim and, and bit the apple, sin entered the world through him. It's important as fathers in this room that we understand that unless we get it right, unless we take control of our lives and unless we completely submit our lives to Christ, that our children might not ever come to know him. If he can disconnect you from the father, he can disconnect you as a father. And ultimately, he came to destroy your family. And it all started with identity. One of my points, you'll never know who you are until you know whose you are. Once you know whose you are, you'll know what you're capable of. Luke 10, verses 18 through 19 says, Yes, he told him, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, and nothing will injure you. See, once you know who you belong to, then you understand what it is that you're capable of. Then you understand not only am I a child of God, not only am I saved or am I delivered, but I also have an authority and a boldness that I never had before, that I can walk among snakes and scorpions and trample them and not be injured. You start to walk different when you know you got authority. When you start to feel evil come into your household, you won't sit back and just shrink up. You'll stand up in the authority and bind and rebuke the, the enemies that are coming against your family. You'll start to understand that I have the power to speak life or death over my children. That I can walk into their rooms and I can, I can, I can anoint them with oil and I can pray over them and I can declare victory over the circumstances that they're struggling with. It's foolish to walk around and think that the enemy isn't after your children. To think that you can just sit back and that nothing's going to happen to them. That even the, even, even the pastor and the preacher, that, that, that it can happen to their children as well. You think, I'm, you think I'm, I'm dumb enough to think that it can't happen to my kids? Or that my kids can't end up in the same cycle that I'm in? No, I know that wholeheartedly. That's why it's important to stay connected to God. So that you can understand the authority that you, only you have in your family's life. And I started thinking about that when God laid it on my heart about the men. That if he can disconnect you from the father, he can disconnect you as a father. And I started thinking like, I don't want to exclude the women in here. Because God chose a woman to give birth to the savior of the world. Right? Chose Deborah to lead an army. That a lot of women in this room, you don't have fathers around your children. That's why it's important for you to find a mighty man of God. It's important for you to find a man that is after God's own heart. Why? Because I got two stepchildren. I never call them my stepchildren. They're my sons. They belong to me. I understand that. I've been daddy since the first week they met me. When they, six days after they met me, they were telling me, you're going to be my daddy. I was like, it's time to, to run away now or it's time to get real serious, like for real. Those are my children. It's important. If you're single, when you find your spouse to find somebody who is after God's heart. Because if they're not equally yoked with you, if they're not going in the same direction, if they don't desire the same things that you do, they'll lead you backwards. We want someone that's going to love our children, right? Someone that's going to lead our children closer to God. Instill greatness into them and tell them that they can do anything that they want to do. But not just what they want to do, but what does God want you to do? 
look at them and search them and, and find the gifts that are inside of them and help them build those gifts up and walk in them, those type of things. So as a mother that has children where the father is absent, give God your heart. Surrender every part of you to God. There's an authority that only a mother can have over her children, too. There's a, a nurturing that can only come from a mother. There's a boldness that I remember my mom when she would when she would she would always sense when I was out getting in trouble. She would just know it. She would show up where I was at and I'd be like hiding in the woods from somebody trying to shoot at me. And she, I, my phone would ring. Be like, I'm in the woods, mom. She's like, I'm off Oxcroft. Come out here right now. And she would she would have a sense to where she could find me in places. I didn't even tell her I was. She just knew that because God gives a mother that because, I'm, because, because they're connected to the mother before they're ever connected to the father. The second part of verse 10, Jesus says, I came that they, they could have life and have it more abundantly. So Jesus came so that we could have abundant life. One of my points is as Christians, it's important that we understand abundant life does not exclude us from the trials of life. Oftentimes, the trials of life are what lead us to abundant life. Obedience without opposition is easy. Even the weakest Christians can be obedient when things are going their way. And it's important that we understand that when he says, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly, that it that doesn't exclude us from the trials of life. Because when life smacks us, if we think that abundant life is always going to feel good, will crumble. That when it seems like everything is falling apart and you have an option to compromise in your walk with Jesus and say, I can either sell drugs to pay my bills or I can face this like a man, you need to understand that no matter what your situation looks like, at the end of it is abundant life. That when a person walks out of your life, and leaves you, devastates you, betray you, it's, it's necessary that you understand that at the end of it is abundant life. Trials are going to come. People are going to walk away from us. We're going to be betrayed, but we need to understand no matter what our situation looks like, abundant life is at the end of it. I was thinking about that, man, because you know a lot of people, if I, if I say God is good, y'all will say what? Come on, man. I know I got some church people in here. If I say God is good, you say what? If I say all the time, what? See, that's what I'm talking about. And so it's easy to say that, right? God is good, right? And then all the time, right? So God is good, but I can't pay my bills. Y'all say what? God is good. <laughs> all the time, right? No matter what our situation looks like, God is good. All the time, right? All the time, what? God is good. <laughs> Let me wear that out. So James said it this way, oh, opposition equals opportunity for true growth. So James said it this way in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness, or that word could mean endurance, have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So to lack nothing would mean abundant life, to be in abundance. So he said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, <laughs> right? That's one of Jesse's favorite verses. Every time something go wrong, I'll be telling him, say, count it all joy, Jesse, because he know how to quote all of James. He can quote James from front to back without looking at it. The whole book of James can quote it from front to back. So every time he get mad, he's like, man, this ain't going right. That ain't going right. I'm like, count it all joy, my brother. <laughs> So he's saying, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Opposition is opportunity for true growth. We don't build endurance unless we go through a struggle and remain steadfast. That's why it's important to know where our, who our source is. It's important to know where we draw, what we draw our strength from. It's important to know where we go to when times get rough. But I remember being in drug court and saying, man, my word for the year is endurance. God, that's my word, that when I come out here, I'm going to have an endurance like never before. So that was my word. Everything fell apart. 
People left me. I lost custody of my kids. I, I almost got put in a jumpsuit. I got the gym taken away from me. That was my only little escape from everything going on in drug court. And it was just consequence after consequence for things that I didn't even do. And I remember sitting there like, man, God, this is something. Something just ain't right. Man, what's really going on? And I, and I felt God like say that same word that I spoke at the beginning of the year, endurance. I didn't realize that God was, was allowing me to go through the struggle because he was trying to develop endurance in my life. Verse 11. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, the good, the shepherds, the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He said he is the good shepherd, not a good shepherd. That's an exclusive statement right there. It's one thing to say God is good. It's another thing to know God is good. So what is Jesus saying when he calls himself the good shepherd? So that word good in the Greek is kalos. It means excellent in its nature and characteristics and therefore well adapted to its end. Competent, able, such as one ought to be to accomplish whatever the good indicates. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I am the shepherd and by my very nature, by my very perfections, competent and capable to accomplish the task assigned to the shepherd. So he's saying... When he's saying that he is the good shepherd, it's an exclusive statement that there's nobody else more qualified and competent enough to be your shepherd. To take care of you, to protect you, to lead you to good pastures. All of those different things that we talked about last week, that there's nobody more competent and capable and able to be your shepherd than him. What Jesus is, and I want to talk about what Jesus isn't for a second because we're going to get real deep into what what he means by the good shepherd. So verse 12, he says, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf come and he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf comes, attacks and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. So we see Jesus and he's saying, man, hey, I ain't no hired hand. He said, I don't run when I see the wolf coming. And a lot of us got this idea of this, 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 this timid Jesus, just the Lamb of God, but we don't really realize that not only was he the Lamb of God, but that he was the Lion of Judah. And he said, hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not scared of the enemy that's coming to devour you, that when he comes to attack you and take everything from you, that that doesn't scare me. I'm not a hired hand. He said a hired hand will run when he sees the wolf coming because he's there only for the money. You are his payment. Jesus is saying, you are my payment. I don't receive anything but you. One of my points, there's power in appointment. Watch who you keep around. Because some of us will allow wolves in sheep clothing to come into our lives. You got to watch who you keep around because some people are only in your life because they're hired hands to get what only you can give them. They're not there to add to your life. They're really there to subtract from your life. One of the things that I was reminded of when I was, when I was preparing this sermon was one night I, as a teenager, I can remember the night that I actually got jumped into the gang that I was in, and we went out to this club, this Hispanic club, and we showed up at the club, and I was so proud of this bandana that I had gotten that night, and everybody was telling me, take this bandana off. You don't know who's going to be inside of the club. And me being prideful, I'm like, I'm not taking this off. Like, nobody's going to take this off of me. And they're like, man, I'm telling you, you don't know who's going to be in there. Like, take it off. And I refused to take this bandana off. So I went inside of this club with me and about five of my friends at the time. And uh, I'm sitting on this wall, and all of a sudden, this short, bald-headed dude comes up to me, and he was you could tell he was like, he looked like, like a Ninja Turtle on steroids. Like, he was probably this tall, but he, his arms were like that big. He walked up to me. He's like, what's up? He's like, well, who'd you claim he started? You know, and I was like, so I started doing my thing and telling him what gang I was in, and we got to arguing, and all of a sudden, he whistled, and there was like 16 to 20 people that came out of the crowd. I was like, oh, my God, I'm in trouble now. So I look back, everybody else done ran when they seen everybody else coming. So I'm like, oh, that's my cue. So I, I turn, turn around to run, and he grabbed my bandana, and he, he yanked me back. So I turn around, and we start boxing, and he lets go of my bandana, and I start running again. And as soon as I get to the door, he 
grabbed me by the bandana again, and I just kept remembering them saying, take that bandana off. You don't know who's going to be inside of the club. And I got to the door, and I started trying to pull my way out the door, and, like, hopefully that the bandana will rip off, but it, it wasn't going nowhere. And as soon as I get to the door, they started grabbing me. They pulled me up by my legs sideways, and I was hanging on to the door. And I'm trying to pull myself this way, and I'm, I'm hanging sideways. And finally, when I realized this ain't going nowhere, I just let go. I let go, and I balled up. And all of a sudden, just boom, boom, they beat me from the door all the way to the middle of the dance floor. And, I mean, they were A-town stomping me, for real. They were, and I was just balled up. And I started hearing my cousin my cousin Kathy, a lot of y'all know her. I heard her screaming, get off of him, get off of him. And as she, she had this like murderous scream. And so every time she would scream, I would try to get up because I was scared they were hurting my cousin. So every time I would try to get up, I would get kicked in the face and knocked back down. And again, I would hear her scream and scream. And I kept trying to get up and get kicked in the face. I'd ball up, get kicked in the face, ball up, get kicked in the face. And um, over and over until I felt less and less feet kicking me. What I didn't know was Kathy grew up, she, Kathy, my cousin, we grew up in karate together and she, she took karate serious. So she was over there like, Kamehameha, like, you know, <laughs> she was karate chopping people. She was tossing people. She turned Bruce Lee in there for real. And she was like knocking all of these gang banging thugs out, like for real, like just till it was only like four of them left. Like she was just like for real taking them out. Like she was she was the shepherd that wasn't afraid of the wolf, like for real. And so, yeah. So I, I feel less and less feet kicking me. Then all of a sudden I feel something cold. I feel a cold steel hit my head. I knew it was a pistol. So I knocked the pistol out of my hand. I mean, out of the dude's hand. And it went sliding in front of me. When it did, I picked it up and I grabbed it. And I jumped up and started aiming that pistol at everybody in front of me. And everybody's like, oh, my God. And all of a sudden, none of my friends that were there, they started showing up. One or two of them started showing up. And Kathy jumped in front of me. She said, David, don't shoot him. Don't shoot him. And I was like, get out of my way, Kathy. Get out of my way. It's in fear for my life. So I started pulling the trigger. But there was a safety on it, and I didn't know. And I cocked it back because I thought it was jammed. Pulled the trigger. And I'm aiming at people. And this gun wouldn't shoot. Kathy backed me all the way outside of the club, and my other friends were pulling off on the street in front of me. And she looked at me, and she said, why are you doing this? She just broke down crying. She said, David, why are you doing this? Why would you keep doing this to your life? She knew. Like, I was on my way to death, and she was like, they don't love you, you know. She was telling me, look, wh where are your friends at now? The reason they ran and left me, because they were hired hands. When the wolf came, when it was time to actually really be there, they were gone. But my cousin, a female, she became the shepherd in that moment. And so I don't know who you are or who might be in here that you've allow allowed these snakes to come in, these wolves in sheep clothing to come into your life that are only here to subtract from your life. But I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, when times get hard, you're going to really see who's there and who isn't. Power and appointment, watch who you keep around. Secondly, I want to talk about Jesus said he's the good shepherd. A few points I want to talk about when he's saying that the good shepherd knows and desires to be known. John 10, 14, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. He knows you because you're his prized possession. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3, 12. He said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. 2 Timothy 2, 19 says, but God's truth stands firm like a fountain stone, like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. And one of my favorite quotes, J.I. Packer said it beautifully. He says, what matters supremely, therefore, is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palm of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. How beautiful is that? That we're not just viewed by God, but that we're seen. 
that he wants, he, he intimately desires to know you. He wants to know you today. He wants to know you tomorrow. He wants to know you in your struggles that he knows. He already knows everything about you, but that he doesn't just know, that he doesn't just see you, that you're actually that he doesn't just view you, but you're actually seen by God. And the problem is a lot of us don't really think that he desires a real relationship with us. Right. Because that's how I was like. I believed in Jesus, believed in God. But it wasn't until I actually realized, like, he for real wants to conversate with me. Like, I thought this is what crazy people do. You know what I mean? Like, it seems crazy, but it's like, man, God, like, that's why we say, God, search my heart. Try me, God, like, show me what's wrong with me. Why? Because Jesus knows everything about us that we don't even know about ourselves. He knows the, the, the root issues that are still holding you back in your life. He knows everything about you that is that is hindering you from becoming who he knows you're going to be one day. Secondly, he desires to be known. I know my sheep and they know me. That's so much intimacy in that statement. That not only does he knows you, but he wants to be known. Like he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to search him out. That he wants you to continuously get to know Jesus. Because the problem is some of us came to know Jesus and we think that we fully know him. There's so much more that he's going to continue to reveal to us about himself. That the longer we spend relationship with him, the longer we spend talking to him, the longer that we pursue him, the more and more we get to know him fully. And so we get saved. We get delivered from drugs and then we stop pursuing him. The same way some of us do with our spouses. We pursued them. We wanted to know everything about them. We entered into an intimate relationship about them. We get married and united with them and then we stop wanting to know our spouses. I still discover stuff about my wife. She probably know everything about me, good and bad. She'll tell y'all all of that. Yeah, I never have to go shop for my own clothes. I never have to. She just goes and does everything because she knows me. She knows me better than I know myself. Every time she tells me something and I'm like, man, no, I'm going to do this anyways. I always got to come back and say, I told you. So now I just listen when my wife tells me because she knows me better than I know myself. He wants to be known. Your sole purpose in life is to continuously know Jesus. One of my points, the freedom you desire is found in your willingness to fall in love with him. It's simple, like for real, so simple that all you have to do is fall in love with Jesus. That's it. You got to fall in love with Jesus. You have to be willing to fall in love with Jesus. The freedom that you're looking for in your life is found in falling in love with Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> no, but the freedom even, even other people are desiring to, to find will be found in you find, falling in love with Jesus because your love for Jesus, you falling in love with Jesus will be the thing that, that, that is so contagious that other people will want to fall in love with Jesus. Right? Everything you need can be found in falling in love with Jesus. Philippians 3, 7 through 10 says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Because of what Christ has done, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him. From the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he's talking about how, you know, that he was the Pharisees of Pharisees. Like he had all of these different, all of these different credentials that qualified him to just be this super religious and righteous person. But he's saying, Man, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ Jesus has done. I I everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ. He said, I count it all garbage, that everything that I've achieved in life, that it's all garbage compared to, to the knowledge of Christ, compared to the value I get from getting to know who Jesus is. Third, the good, the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. The shepherd died out of love for the sheep. So we identify heroes by those that run toward conflict, not away from it. 
And I was thinking about this, the West Freeway Church. A lot of y'all probably heard the story of the West Freeway Church, how this man came in with a wig, came with a, a, a long trench coat on and a wig, and he came into this church, and he had actually been somebody that the church helped out before. And he came into the church, and uh, a couple of the security had their eyes on him because something about him looked suspicious, and he stood up right in the middle of service, and he turned to one of the guy, one of the, the, the securities that were there, and um, he went to reach for his gun. He pulled out a shotgun and shot one of them, and then another guy pulled out his to try to shoot back at him, and he got shot and killed. And then luckily there was another one of the securities that were at the back of the that was at the back of the church within six six seconds from the time the first shot went off from that shotgun, he had one shot and aimed it at the dude's head and dropped it. And it's, it, it reminds me, they interviewed this, this security guy and they were asking him, they said, well, we understand he's security, but is he, is he paid staff? Like, do you get paid for this? And he wasn't. he wasn't. He wasn't paid. He wasn't a hired hand. He was just a shepherd and he wasn't scared to run towards conflict. Why? Because he loved the people that were in the room. So he was willing to sacrifice his life. Jesus died because you couldn't. What I mean by that, without the death of Jesus, it's impossible to die to ourselves. That if it wasn't for Jesus being willing to be hung on a cross and die for you, you wouldn't be able to die to yourself. It's only then that we have the ability to deny ourselves and pursue what God really wants for us. And unless we're willing to die for that, We'll never have the freedom that we really need. Romans 5, 9 through 10 says, And since we have been made right in God's sight, God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by death, by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. He said, Since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, he will certainly, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Man, ain't this, that's beautiful right there. That while, while we were still his enemies, God sent his son to die for us. And that by his resurrection, we have resurrection. Secondly, he died so that you could live for him. 2 Corinthians 5.15, he died says he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. That's why I always talk about that, that he did not just die to save us from the penalty of sin, but that he died to save us from our sin, that through his death and through his resurrection, that once we receive that and once we actually have a revelation of who he is, that we'll no longer desire to live for ourselves, but that we'll desire to live for him. And it's impossible to live for God unless we have a revelation of who he is. And that's why I keep on talking about that. We don't have to strain and struggle to overcome the things that we're struggling with. Only thing we have to do is grow into the love of God and continue to pursue his heart. That the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more freedom that we'll find. That's why he's constantly taking us through these I am statements in the gospel of John. In the gospel, John called him the disciple whom Jesus loved. He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I used to think that was arrogant and I used to think that was prideful. But I understand that, no, he actually knew who he was in Christ. And so he's the one that, that points out all of these I am statements, that he's the Messiah, that he's living water, that he is the bread of the life, that he's, he's the light of the world, that he's everything that we need to overcome what we're struggling with and to spiritually satisfy us. And unless we grow into the knowledge of who he is, we'll never overcome the things that we struggle with. So we don't struggle to break free of those things. Yeah, there's a time where we have to crucify the flesh. But we have to deny ourselves. There, there is a time for that. But unless we really understand who he is, we can't. It's not humanly possible for us to do that. We'll nail it to the cross, take it back off. Nail it to the cross, take it back off. Nail it to the cross, take it back off. But the more time you spend in the secret place, the more time you spend in the presence of God, the more time you take to examine yourself and say, God, what 
Is it what do you want to change about me? God, what, it, what in what areas do I need to grow in? Who do I need to forgive? When we start to ask those type of questions, we start to find the true conviction behind them and then the power to overcome the things that we struggle with. He died. He died so that you could live with him. John 16, 7, Jesus is, is, is talking to his disciples and he just got through explaining to them that he was going to have to be crucified for them. And he seen that they were troubled and they were upset. And he says in, in uh, 16, verse 7, he says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. John 16, 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. And so Jesus is telling them, I have to die. I have to go away because if I don't go away, then the spirit cannot be given to you. See, he could only be in so many places at one time when he was walking in, in human form. And he said, I have to die and I have to go to be with the father in order for the helper, the comforter to come and be here with you. Because once he leaves, that God will place his spirit in all who call on him and that the spirit will guide us into all truth. And we talked about how that word truth can literally be translated to the word reality. That once we give our lives to Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit, that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that he'll start to guide us into the reality of what this world really looks like. That once we receive that, we can actually see the brokenness for what it is. That we'll actually get to be able to see the motives behind the action. And so he's telling him, he said, man, I'm going away so that you can live with me. That you'll no longer have to walk around in this world and I have something to comfort you when times get hard. That's why he said it was they called him the comforter. Because life gets uncomfortable. Struggles come, trials come. But he's given us a spirit inside of us. A lot of us have received that spirit but never tapped into the full potential of that spirit. There's power inside of you. There's peace inside of you. Everything that you need is already inside of you. It's beautiful, man. I remember one of the first times somebody said something to me when I first got into recovery, and he talked about how recovery was like a present. It's just like a gift. It's like this big box that's just wrapped in all of this different gift wrapping. He said, man, recovery is like opening this gift and that you open this box to like open another box and another box and you spend years just tearing the layers off of this box and when you finally get down to the last layer and you open up this box you what you what you what you find is you and who you were really created to be that's what the spirit's job is it's to remove the layers it's to show us who we, are, we were created to be. It's to give us conviction, not condemnation, but to, but to show us in what areas God is wanting to work in and then give us the power that we need to actually overcome those things. We talk about the good shepherd. I want to turn to Psalms 23. Here we have King David right here in Psalms 23 and starting with verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that. Verse 1, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Saying he won't live in the lack, that he will have abundant life. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. Sometimes God has to make us lay down. Because we've been running so long. 
says he leads us beside still waters. That's finding a place of rest and a place of peace. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's the beautiful thing about having a shepherd, knowing that we're not walking this, this, this life in our own strength and on our own and not knowing what direction God wants to take us to, that we can spend our whole lives just aimlessly just walking around this world, just living and existing, but without actually having a purpose in any direction in our life. But that when we're led to a struggle, we know that if I'm going there, God is leading me there. And he said he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So much comfort in that, that that God doesn't get any glory for our lives being destroyed, right? But that he leads us in righteousness, paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's why it's important to understand, God, if I'm going this direction, if, if it doesn't work out, you don't get any glory for this, God. Right. But God wants to elevate you. God wants to restore you. God wants to build you up. God wants to give you everything that you need and desire in your life. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. He didn't say, even if I walk through the valley. He said, even though I walk through the valley, that it's inevitable that you're going to be, sometimes you're going to be elevated in your life and there's going to be other times when you're in the valley. But it's important to know that even though you're in the valley that you got God with you. Notice he said, as I walk through the valley. We can't get stuck in the valley. We got to keep walking. That's why we say going through the storm, because we have to continue to walk through it. And it's not easy. It's not easy going through. It's not easy getting over uh, heartbreak and walking through this life. The things happening to us, man, it's not easy to keep walking. But we got to know that God is with us. He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a beautiful verse. Verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I was thinking the other day I was at drug court and I picked two guys up from drug court. One guy that I used to gangbang with and one that was one of our rival gang members. How beautiful. Like I led one of my homeboys that was in, in the same gang I was in and led him to the Lord. Then we're in the same car and he's right next to his enemy and they're talking about starting a ministry when they get out and reaching these kids that are, are going through these, these struggles at home and like trying to prevent them from getting into gangs and drugs. And they're like, man, it's going to be so powerful. It's going to go viral because we're not even supposed to be in the same car together, but we're going to start a ministry together. Right. It just was so beautiful, man, to see them come and, and unite together because God is doing something in their lives like their hearts are changing. So beautiful, man. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And back then they would anoint. See, David was a shepherd, so he understood this. Why he wrote like this? Because he was a shepherd. And when they would anoint the sheep's head with oil, it would be to prevent um, parasites from going and crawling into the nostrils, right? And then it would, they, they would start to develop and have babies inside, and it would literally eat away their brains and the sheep would get so aggravated that they would beat their heads against anything they could beat their heads against until it killed them. They'd commit suicide. So when he's saying they would anoint the, the, the uh, sheep's head with oil because it would prevent these parasites from getting into them. So he's not just saying you anoint my head with oil so that it makes me feel good. He's like, no, like you're stopping the things from blocking my senses. You're stopping these things from coming in and infesting my, my brain. So he's saying that. He's saying, my cup overflows. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I love that. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's another picture of him walking. Him walking forward no matter what he's going through. Knowing that goodness and mercy follow me. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Another cool thing I learned about sheep. I could have talked about how stupid sheep are, <laughs> for real. That's what most pastors will come and talk about, how dumb sheep are so that you know you're in need of a Savior. But Luke 15, 4 through 7 says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, 
He will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. Cool fact about the sheep. Whenever there's a sheep that strays from the flock and continues to stray from the flock, the shepherd will go out and find it and he'll break the sheep's legs. And he'll carry it on his shoulders. That's why he says right here, he said, he said when, he, when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Left a part out about them breaking the sheep's legs. The shepherd would break the sheep's legs, carry it home on his shoulders, and he would spend spe- a, a, a special amount of time just nurturing and caring for the sheep and just till it gets fully restored and it's able to walk again. And once the sheep is able to walk again, it'll never leave the shepherd's side again. And it'll never stray. I thought that was so cool, man, because I ended up here because God had to break my legs. I've been running from God my whole life. And some of you in this room, you've been running from God a really long time. And you're here today because it's finally, this is a, this is a point where you say, man, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Maybe you got your legs broken. Some of y'all got another one in you. You might run off again, but God going to break your legs and you're going to end up right back in here. No, but seriously, man. <laughs> no, that's funny. But if you're here today, man, and you say, man, you know what? Like, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm tired of running from God. You finally reached that bottom where life just got so hard. You just can't keep, can't keep walking the same direction. And you say, man, I just want just to give my life to Jesus, man. I, I would like to give an opportunity for anybody that wants to come up tonight and give your life to Jesus. Can we bow our heads real quick? Thank you for listening to this week's message from We Are Church. I trust that you are blessed and moved in a way that changes your life permanently and allows God to guide you towards your calling in Christ. If you want to make We Are Church your home church or feel moved to sow into We Are Church, we want to provide the means to do so. You can join or give online at weareministries.com and you can also reach us on our social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you. Have a great week.